Are you ready to get real? Hello, and welcome to Real with MoxieWorks, where we discuss real estate news, tips, and of course, technology. Hey there, thanks for joining the Real with MoxieWorks podcast. My name is Georgia Perez, and I'm the Vice President of Business Development and Product Evangelism here at MoxieWorks. And I'm so excited to be joining you most especially because of my guest host today, who is the brilliant Matthew Ferreira, who is a philosopher, speaker, writer, photographer, and really a major source of inspiration for real estate industry. So I could not be more delighted. Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm so excited. I have to tell you that one of the greatest compliments we ever received as a company, I don't don't know if we ever told you this story or not, York and I were talking to uh, William Ravis right when they were getting ready to join our company. And because they have you come do a lot of inspirational things to help their agents stay on track and be really successful. As soon as we told them that Matthew Ferreira, you know, was connected to our company and helping as a guidance to us, their literal words were, to my CEO, York. York, you are a genius. So um, I, I'm so excited to be speaking to someone who makes us seem smart to the rest of the real estate world today. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great story. I, I'm, I'm glad it was helpful. I, I haven't been called a genius before, but I'm glad it made a <laughs> Well, they were saying we were geniuses for having the wisdom to work with you. So I, I concur with that. Um, I've heard you speak a lot. And, and some of my favorite things is you're always so positive and passionate about helping brokerages and agents. And that's a lot of what we want to focus on today. We want to talk a little about um, how are brokerages and agents looking at technology tools for their for their brokerage? And, you know, are there differing opinions between the agent and the broker on what they need? And, and how do we help them kind of sort through all of that? So I was hoping we could dig into that deeply today. Definitely. I, I've been uh, very deeply in that aspect of the real estate industry for almost three decades. Uh, I, I basically got my start in that space. And uh The two things that I love about this industry the most is there are very few industries that have already adapted to technology as much as real estate has. So it's a really exciting history that we have. And there's never been a better time for more uh, tools and uh, adoption to occur because uh, we now are into our third, fourth, fifth generation, if you will, of brokers and organizations that are tech-centric and and tech-first. And it's interesting because so many people think that real estate is really lagging behind when it comes to technology. And really, you're saying they're already really adaptive and have been doing so for a really long time. So where's the disconnect in the public opinion on this and the reality? Yeah, I think um, there's a little bit of story making out there, if you will. <laughs> and uh, you always, whenever I listen to a story, I always ask myself, well, what what is the author's purpose in telling this story? And right. uh, so, so, I mean, yes, there, there probably is still a massive amount of growth space for technology adoption in this business. So it's not all um, just fairy tales that that uh, are being told. But when you think about how the practitioners who are doing the business today, and, and we know those numbers, right? We know that whatever, 90% of the business is done by 15, maybe 20% of the agents out there. I, I don't know a single one of them that's not using technology deeply 
and uh, aggressively and competitively. Uh, they are using smartphones and tablets and CRM and online document management. They're generating leads online. They know how to market online. Their listings are all over the universe. There's just no story that could be told to say that the people doing the business aren't really using technology well, and, and certainly with room for improvement there. Now, that leaves a huge chunk of the business that's either getting in and needs to learn to use that, or a chunk of the business that probably isn't using all of those things that I just managed uh, 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 mentioned, but, but truthfully is using some of them. And, and that is part of the story. How do we get more tools into their hands and how do we get um, better uptake of the tools um, that they already have. So I, I do think there there is a good story in technology in this business. And I think that uh, we have to remember that while there is plenty of work to be done, we should celebrate what we've already accomplished. Yeah. And what do you say to the myth that um, because the, the next generation of realtors, of course, are younger people, supposedly, what about that myth that, you know, younger people are super tech savvy, but older people can't manage tech? What do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's one of my favorite myths um, because really there's no evidence for it. It's a it's a it's a folk tale if you think about it. So first of all, the real estate industry is filled with these so-called quote older people. Uh, the vast majority of real estate professionals today still average in the high fifties for their average age. And the number of real estate professionals under the age of 30 is still five percent or six percent. It's not a very big number right now. Now those will change just because demographics change over time. And that's the nature of the universe. However, let's just talk about the fact today that of the 1.4 million members of the National Association of Realtors, the vast majority of them fall into the older than 35 group. Let's leave it that way. <laughs> and these are the people using the technology. These are the people buying the technology. These are even the people inventing the technology in many cases or pushing it along. And so uh, the tech savviness of the real estate practitioner and its age is kind of a weird disconnect. And, and while it might be true that younger people are more comfortable with technology, I don't know where that savviness where the upper limit of it is. You know, I like to say that just because I know how to drive my car doesn't qualify me to be an Indy 500 driver. Uh, <laughs> and just because a younger person knows how to use their smartphone uh, with their eyes closed doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be any better closing a real estate transaction or generating a lead or doing the things that are necessary to build their business. Now, I'm not downplaying the use of technology by young people. I'm simply saying that we should be careful in this business to simply think, well, let's go uh, recruit only young people because they magically can install apps or right. something like that. Uh, the truth is uh, that they can use these tools really well, but they can't code. Uh, necessarily any better than anyone else. And they can't prospect <laughs> any better than anyone else. And if I were a broker out there, I would be very careful to keep my uh, recruiting uh, 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 strategy with a variety of factors, not just one factor, not just I'm only going to recruit people under a certain or over a certain age 
uh, bracket because of some extra advantage in technology, because everyone can learn to use it. Young people are going to come with some technology advantages and learn to sell real estate. And people with 30 years of experience selling real estate are going to learn to use technology because they are masters of that. They didn't have a fax machine 30 years ago, and now they don't have one again. But in between, they learned how to use it as best as they had to. So I try never to um, get too caught up in that. I, I think there's a, a tool, a useful tool of, of understanding the generations in this business. But once it reaches a sort of cliche level, we should be very, very careful about whether we're really learning anything important. Yeah, I have to say, I am the typical real estate agent. First of all, I am a licensed real estate agent. I um, have had my license for almost 11 years and have been a managing broker. And I am that middle-aged woman who fits that profile. I just happen to now work in technology. But I always love it. I go home to visit my mother, who's 83 years old. And the first thing she wants me to do is get out my iPad and open the real estate app that I have to show her what's happening with the real estate in her neighborhood. Like She just (laughs) wants to click all over. So I agree. I don't think we can be so stereotypical. But what about people who have great fear of technology? Technology. I mean, even technology as a replacement for the realtor, that's a lot of what we hear about out in the industry right now. Um, and I know I'm in technology and I'm not building anything that plans to replace the, the realtor and disenfranchise the person who has to build the relationship. But what are your thoughts on that? Should, should brokerages be afraid? Should agents be afraid? Yeah, I mean, I guess the short answer is I wouldn't be afraid at all. I do think there is some fear being promulgated out there. I think that there are some people who are successfully using the excitement, especially in the stock market around technology uh, and the interesting ways the technology has been applied uh, in other industries. But they're telling a story that's like, two centuries old. You know, it's the old story of, well, if the factory is built, then all the workers will be put out of a job, except that, well, all the workers who used to make shoes by hand learned to make shoes in a factory. And, you know, well, Uber has come and it's put all the cabbies out of business. Well, it's actually not true at all, just that all the cabbies now drive Uh, in Uber, if you will. I mean, Mm -hmm. I meet cabbies in New York City and San Francisco and Seattle all the time. And I say, what, you know, what what do you do? And well, I drive a cab sometimes and I do Uber and the other times. And I I talk to Uber drivers and they just drive for themselves now as opposed to driving for a medallion holder. So, I mean, look, I, I think that part of the reason agents are are sometimes hesitant about new technologies, and to be frank, uh, brokers are hesitant about adopting and investing in these new technologies, is because the stories being told are about uh, disintermediating the business, are about uh, reducing the cost of the transaction. And to be honest with you, no other industry has applied technology into a service business like we have and uh, not delivered more and therefore got paid more, right? When physicians started using technology, it didn't drive down their costs because they created better outcomes. It drove up their ability to earn more. And this is true with attorneys. When attorneys were able to use their computer to get at legal cases faster and better, it means that they could win more cases on behalf of their clients. Therefore, their value went up. Well, in real estate, right now, a weird uh, divergent story is being told, not by everybody, but by a lot of people, whereby, well, the more technology we use, the more we'll drive down the cost of the transaction. We can charge customers less. We should be charging customers more. If we sell their homes, 
for more in less time with a better experience, with greater sense of control, with a better outcome, this technology should be doing the opposite of what's being told out there, uh, which is building value. And that value is worth more, not less. And so that's why I think there's a sort of uh, push-pull in this business, because a lot of the technology firms out there are saying, you know, we're inventing technology that will either eliminate agents or drive down the cost of their commissions. And and frankly, if I were a real estate agent and that was the main story out there, I would think to myself, well, I should be very careful about the tools I'm using. Now, the agents who are better are the ones who are careful about the tools they're using. They're choosing tools that enhance their value. They're choosing tools that increase their customer service delivery, give them better access to their clients and their clients better access to them that help them anticipate their clients' needs. And most of the agents that I am fortunate enough to work with and most of the brokerages that I'm fortunate enough to work with are only growing because of that. They're actually not losing market share because of those technologies. They're growing because of those technologies. Yeah, and it's great. You bring up a couple of great analogies. I think also how people always say that Netflix didn't kill Blockbuster, you know, the better service that Netflix offered. And so your point about as long as what we're using the technology for is to deliver better and higher services to people, you know, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And if Blockbuster, I suppose, had found a way to be of more service or, you know, could have reinvented themselves slightly, they might they might have been the, the next best thing too. But so that brings me to a good question though, because automation is a big part of technology today, especially for agents. And I often find that when people hear the word automation, they kind of even for themselves think, oh great, it's going to do it all for me. Um, so when we're really trying to put the client first, so we're delivering better services, what role should automation play? And maybe where's the disconnect between agents and and what automation should be doing in a positive way for them versus doing their job for them? Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, a great question. And actually, it's a question that really is, uh, it comes from the history of, of economic growth and the history of innovation long before technology in, uh, in real estate. I mean, the purpose of technology has always been twofold. One is to make our lives easier and, and better. And to sec- secondly, to uh, help us as individuals make a better contribution. So when I think about automation, I think about asking the following question. What are the most important things I should be doing as a real estate professional? And what are the tasks or activities or repeat activities that get in my way of doing those important things? And that's what I wanna automate. See, I wanna automate filling in forms. I wanna automate organizing columns of data. I wanna organize, I mean, I think about 25 years ago when we used to do a market analysis, how long it would take to read the data and reformat the data and type it and or, you know, and now we use these amazing tools that can do a CMA in seconds and -hmm. turn it into a dramatically compelling presentation. That's good automation. However, I don't want the tool to present itself. I don't want the report to suddenly just pop up in someone's email and say, let me tell you how to sell your home and what your home is worth. What I want is the tool to save me time doing that so that I can then reach more people with that advice, knowledge, experience, insight that is the human value that I'm getting uh, paid for. And so when I think about automation, I look around the real estate office and I see it everywhere. I see... um, 
administrators uh, typing the same information in 30 different times, five different MLSs, six different back office systems, 15 different forms. <laughs> uh, and it's the same information over and over and over again. That's what we should automate. When I'm an agent and I think about, well, every time I get a new client, I have to enter them into this system and this system and this system. Can't automation just flow it all through for me? I put them into my you know, CRM. Uh, from my email, they go into my CRM, which activates the marketing tools I need, which opens up a transaction management tool for me and uh, alerts my broker uh, support team to you know, be ready for, for supporting me on this. That's where automation should work. What automation should not be doing is uh, attempting to somehow supplant the real value that customers want from us anyways. And here's, I say this all the time, no one ever referred a vending machine, right? <laughs> so no, no one ever ran down the hall and said, Sally, Sally, go, go check out this vending machine. It is the coolest thing ever. You can get a candy out of it. You know, like that's, <laughs> so no one's going to refer an algorithm. No one is going to send an email that says, oh my God, you have to check out this algorithm. In fact, the biggest, craziest, most powerful algorithms in real estate today People actually don't even trust them. They don't even believe that they're able to come up with good answers. The funny thing about the algorithms is that they're not what we refer. And we've had algorithms for a long, long time. We've had bots. We've had automation. No one is thrilled to get your phone uh, uh, directory tree. You know, <laughs> they, they want the people. So wherever automation is applied, it should follow the simplest thing, which is are lives better as a result of it? And secondly, do I get more people time as a result right. of this automation? And if that's the case, then good automation is possible in this business and in every business. Yeah, I love that. I mean, often um, we always like to say that you can automate the things that a machine can do well. So it serves up more time for that agent to build relationships because that's a face-to-face -face thing. I can't sit across the table and break bread with my automated whatever. I, I also find, and I'd love your opinion on this, that there's a lot of products and services out there now that have automation that creates a lot of auto responses to people. So, okay, I got a lead and now it's going to get hit eight times by this system that's going to hammer that new person eight times. But statistically, we still know that the agent themselves lets 50% of their leads fall on the floor and the other 50%, maybe 15 to 48 hours. So sometimes I wonder if a bot is telling me, the consumer, that someone's actually connected with me, but the agent is still no more likely to pick up the phone in a certain period of time and follow up with that person, is it actually making a more frustrated consumer on the other end, one who, who thinks you actually are responding to them, but it's actually a machine and you never actually do respond? Does that make sense? I mean, I think creating some automatic responses is great. Creating the impression that a human is actually paying attention to you when we know that 50% of the time the human is not, is not necessarily a great thing. Yeah, I think there are a few, uh, there's a few different things in that question. And it's really the complexity that I'm not sure anyone has totally figured out yet, but that we, we should work on. And, and that is, you know, uh, ever since you could leave a message on an, on a, answering machine, people always reacted weirdly to it. You know, like people always leave silly messages on answering machines or voicemail or people get an autoresponder and they're, they're sort of affronted by it. You know, you get an email that says, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the office today. And if there's a real emergency, please call my secretary. And somehow you have like a really negative reaction to these sort of machines getting in between, if you will. And so I think that when we look at autoresponding and then the 
a next logical step, which is these automated drip systems, if you will, these automatic nurturing and follow-up systems. I think you have to um, understand that they're really hard to do well really hard to do well. And here's why. If someone reaches out to someone for help, they have an expectation in the back of their head. It's just, it's, this is just human sales 101. I expect to hear from a person at some point. Now, it's cool to set the expectation that you might hear from me within 30 minutes, or you might hear with me, from me within one hour or something like that. That's understandable to set that expectation. But if I don't hear from you at all, and if I'm pretty clear that what I'm getting is like a decision tree inside of a library of templates, then I'm going to press unsubscribe and move right on. There's just a very, very little evidence that that kind of nurturing ultimately is what people want. And, and it may work for people who have a really low uh, cost of, of risk and uncertain things, you know, so I want to learn more about something that's not very expensive. But when it comes to real estate, it's expensive and it's emotionally expensive as well. It's a very complex transaction. So I think that, that that's a, a danger. I, I simply put it to you this way. Sometimes I buy a product and they automatically sign me up for their newsletter or their their email. And then within like the first five days, I'm getting 10 emails from them. And within five days, not only have I unsubscribed just from that email telling me about more deals, more discounts, more opportunities, but I also feel kind of negative about the initial purchase I made in the first place too. So it's actually worked against their brand. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think we have to be very careful about that. And, and I'll, let's just be honest, if it were possible to automate this entire process, then not only would we have not already done it, if, if you will, but everyone would um, be looking at that and saying that there's, there's something missing, if you will, in the transaction that we haven't understood. And, and I think we have understood it. We've understood that people hire people who work with technology and are supported by technology. Nobody wants um, the kiosk to deliver uh, that entire experience. They want the kiosk to give them access to certain experience, but I think that there is a reason why banks still have brick and mortar locations. And in fact, some banks have increased their brick and mortar locations. And that is because at some point, there's just only so much that automation can fulfill for the consumer. So it's great for information, but it's not good for relation. Yeah. Now, do you think that agents and brokerages are approaching adopting or finding technology differently? Um, is an agent looking for something different than their broker might be looking for on their behalf? Um, I think that sometimes happens. I think that there can often be some confusion between what an agent needs on a day-to-day -day basis and what the broker needs for either reducing overhead or profitability or getting better access to information. Now, the best brokerages that, that we work with obviously get that in alignment, right? They, they get together with their agents and say, where are the places that we can make an impact in your ability to sell more? Great. And then they say, okay, now let's uh, map that onto the types of organizational needs that we have to build a stronger organization that will help you be the place where you want to grow. I mean, sometimes it, they get it completely in reverse. Sometimes I've seen a lot of brokerage initiatives out there where it's all about uh, automating things from an administrative or data management standpoint. And as a result, they've actually made it harder for the agent to do their job, harder to open up transaction files, harder to get access to information, more keystrokes than ever before. So sometimes that 
that can happen, but companies are getting better at it. I, I think the, the key element, though, is that what agents need more of is uh, looking, if I were an agent, it, it's I'm looking for tools that take away any repetitive, non-best use of my time activities. So it is not uh, that the agent wants something significantly different is that there are certain administrative aspects of their job that haven't got as much attention as uh, as they need, believe it or not. And then they get distracted by spending too much time on low gain activities. Now, now let me just add one other element to this, which is I also think that there's um, a little bit of a weird uh, disconnect between what agents think they want and what we know they need, right? So we know that whatever, 70% of all deals amongst the average agent and 90% amongst high-performing agents come from their sphere of influence. And yet agents are being told, and some are convincingly agreeing, to uh, to buying leads that aren't in their sphere of influence, that they have no relationship with. And so as a result of that, they get off track. They spend, you know, huge amounts of times with people that they don't know, and that leads to no transaction. And they spend less time with the people they do know, which is the greatest source of their business. Right. And so we have to be careful that the brokerage strategy keeps them focused on what actually really works and that the agents don't get distracted into requesting things or going down these rabbit holes of things that also uh, don't uh, lead to to where where their real source of business comes from. Yeah, there's a couple of things. I was just on the road um, out for several brokerages that we work with on the East Coast, speaking to a lot of their agents. And what was really interesting to me was the broker is increasingly told by the agent, I want you to provide me more leads, more leads, more leads, more leads, kind of like you say. And I get it. You know, who wouldn't want the magic business that just comes out of the sky and it shows up for me? And, and even though we statistically know that leads close at about 1%, right? And so uh, I did an analysis of the 12 sides that NAR says the average realtor does. And the agent who's relying more heavily on leads based on what you said a moment ago, too, so they're spending 70% of their time on this versus the other, would have to talk to 700 people a year to have enough convert to even equal a portion of those sites. Now, first of all, how many people get 700 leads a year? You'd have to get them driven to you in the first place. And just because you have a mechanism doesn't mean everyone's coming knocking on your door and giving you a lead. But again, if people don't follow up with them, then they're not going to convert them anyway. And the thing I asked this audience was, why do you feel more um, positive about reaching out to someone who's a lead than you do about people in your database? And what was interesting was, uh, I asked, do you think it's because the lead is someone who's sort of raised their hand and self-identified that they're looking to buy or sell? So you have no fear in picking up the phone and talking real estate to that person, but you're afraid of coming off as a creepy salesperson if you're trying to call someone in your sphere about real estate. And that was um, that really resonated with people. They had to admit they were afraid of working their sphere because they think of salespeople in a negative way and don't want their sphere to think of them negatively. So how can we help agents overcome that idea? And, and besides, I don't think they have to be a creepy salesperson when they call up someone in their sphere. But how do we help them understand this value, this gold mine that is their sphere? 
Well, see, isn't that the, that's sort of the primary strategy behind the technology. Technology without any strategy behind it, without a clear vision of its purpose, leads to that very um, situation. You know, um, so so let me answer your question and, and by just going around it and then come right back to it. First, the idea that I'd have to talk to 700 leads a year in order to close at a rate equivalent to if I just called you know, a hundred people in my sphere of influence. Uh, no one ever asks what that would do to your nervous system. You know, can you imagine getting 70 leads a week? Like you, you'd be a basket case. I think, I think if your phone were beeping every other hour with a new person that you had to go through the process of figuring out how to communicate with them, how to get back to them, uh, what their needs are, registering them, uh, hopefully getting them under a contract if they're a potential buyer, you know, doing all your disclosures. I mean, nobody ever asks what that would do to the human being um, who's trying to be a salesperson, but also live a life. And, and so as a result of that, we adopt bad technologies. We're like, well, you, you can't humanly deal with 700 or 7,000 or 70,000 leads a year. So we're going to put it through these autoresponders and drip reminders and filterers and measurers and scorecards. And, you know, all we've done is like create a problem and solve a problem that has nothing to do with really real estate, right? We're solving, spending all this money solving a problem where, uh, you know, go back to those agents who just use real low tech, but tech, you know, they use their smartphone and they use a great CRM and they've got 200 people in it and they make a call or an email or a text and they close more deals than all these agents running around in circles and all those brokerages basically recycling hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into this weird space. So let's go back to the solution to all of this. Here's the solution to all of this. Help agents have great pride in what they do. The more we help agents have great pride in what they do, the easier it will be for them to choose good technology and use good technology, right? So I don't use a ton of technology. I use a CRM. I use email. I use some social media stuff. And uh, those three technologies and my website basically help me do the work. But it starts by being like fully confident that what I do is I add value to people who depend on me. And my sphere of influence depends on me, right? So that's the thing. If we help agents realize the role that they play in their community, in their, their neighborhood, their family, their friends, their coworkers, their sphere of influence. So the role they play is so important to them because the transaction is so important and the emotions around the transaction are so important. Then then what I need is email. What I need is a phone line. What I need is a text message. What I need is to be able to stay connected to people on social media and know what's going on in their lives and just make a little deposit on a regular basis. Uh, good job. Great to see you. That looks like fun. Hope all is well. Uh, love to catch up over the holidays type of thing. Like there's not, it's, Then there's nothing creepy about those things, right? <laughs> That's just like being a good person who happens to have the career of real estate professionals. So like, if you want to choose better technology and you want to drive up um, adoption of that technology, then help people understand how awesome it is to be a real estate professional. And then they'll pick the tools that they don't hide behind, but they'll pick the tools that help them stand in front of everybody and say, I'd love to make sure that when it comes to that time, for you to do something with real estate, that you do it right, do it um, well, enjoy the experience and get the most out of it. And so I think that it is a, it's um, two layers of the same problem in this profession. You know, we, we oftentimes have to solve the people problem before we can 
uh, enable them to do better with technology. But we also have to make sure that the technology doesn't create its own problems that gets uh, people um, uh, away from what their real role in, in this industry and in their community in general is. I love that. It really is an amazing business. I can say that firsthand. Uh, when I took ninja training, which is what I did when I first became a realtor, um, one of the guiding things that you had to do was make 50 touches a week and, and email and text message did not count. It actually had to be phone calls or in person. And uh, I know I like to talk, but I don't actually like to talk on the phone. So that was really something I hated. Um, but I divided my database up and I chose to make 10 calls a day. And I have to say that because they were never intended to be about real estate, you were supposed to call about Ford, family, occupation, recreation, dreams, right? So I started calling people. I sang in a hundred person choir and every week, you know, people shared prayer requests and told us a little bit about their lives. So I started making my calls and I'd pick up the call and go, hey, Matthew, you know, you said your son was having surgery Wednesday. I just called to find out, you know, how did it go? And the funny part is at first people getting a call from me were sort of like, why is she calling me? Because <laughs> they weren't sure why I was calling all of a sudden either. But once it was just about relationship things, it just lit up my relationships with people. And yes, they remembered me in real estate, but you know what? My life got amazingly good too, because these incredible people and I were much more in flow and in contact with each other about real things in life. And it just led to real estate when the time was right. Well, I mean, this is the beauty of ninja selling and, and, uh, relationship-based selling as opposed to transactional-based selling. Uh, in fact, believe it or not, I, I work with some companies who have developed awards, which recognize, people who build great relationships or contribute to the relationships of the people in the office in ways that are more than whether they gave the most referrals or did the most units or whatever. I mean, there is, there is, I think, a, a parallel culture of relationships in this business that many brokers and many agents do get. And I do think that it, it becomes easier, but much more fulfilling. Frankly, I, I, for me, it's very selfish that I call my clients because every time I call them, I learn something from them. I always, and it makes me feel better. So it's extremely selfish for me to call my clients and have an awesome conversation. I mean, when I get off the phone with York, it's like I have just eaten 10 uh, slices of chocolate cake. I'm just like <laughs> so energized from that conversation. Uh, it's the it and 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 he's my client, right? And that's the thing. I mean, the interesting part about doing relationship management as the basis to growing your business is that it is mutually rewarding. I can just call clients and say, "I'm thinking you this morning. Is there anything going on that I could contribute to? That I do you need any help on anything?" And if they just say no, but you know what? Just thanks for being there today. I just needed to know you were there today. That's it. I did I did my job. Uh, let me tell you, it's way better than reminding people to turn their clocks back, okay? <laughs> I mean, unless you still have a water clock sitting around, no one's <laughs> turning their iPhone back, you know, that I've got to leap forward or fall back or I don't know. It yeah. just, it seems to me sometimes that this business, and, and in technology, this is true. We will try to do the absurd before we try to do the easy, right? We will try to get 10 million visitors, 100 million Facebook followers, uh, uh, 300,000 Instagram followers. We will try to do the absurd with technology before we do the simplest thing with technology, which is to make sure we've got our 200 
top favorite people in a list in our database and that we reach out to two or three a day, that when we go on social media, we contribute something that makes other people's day better too. Uh, that our emails don't make people feel like they've been processed through some sort of weird algorithm as opposed to someone just paying attention to them. Uh, here's just a quick short story. I um, Years ago, to prove a point, I um, sent out some emails and, and I did this as an experiment. I tracked it and I just sent out some um, emails to 10 people in my sphere of influence. And I simply said, hi, uh, it's Monday morning. I'm starting off my day and I was thinking of you. I hope all is well. If I could be of any help, please let me know. And that was all I said, you know, and I got like eight out of the 10 responded in the very same day that simply said, is this automated? <laughs> and I wrote back, no, it's not automated. I, I really was. I really wrote that, you know, and I mean, I suppose there was some copy and paste involved or whatever, <laughs> right? But but it wasn't like a drip list or something. And they were like, well, as it turns out, I was thinking of you the other day. When can we have a call? And so, you know, 10 emails created a number of calls and it's not about the business that it generated. It's just that it was simple. It doesn't have to actually be as extreme sometimes as we make it in this business. By the way, that would be really refreshing for agents as well. I think that agents sometimes just get so challenged by the things we often ask them to do with technology. You know, we ask them to change the way they work so that they can work with the computer that will then make it better for them to work. As opposed <laughs> to technology saying, look, I know how you work. You need to have 200 people in the database. You need to call a few of them every single day. That's why you use this product. Uh, and uh, so like, that's the challenge. The challenge uh, for the agent sometimes is that they're being asked to actually do things that don't feel easy. And as a result, they just bo don't bother adopting it. They partially adopt. They probably have a thousand uh, uh, unused uh, accounts on a thousand free applications online that never went anywhere because they didn't really realize what it means to be a real estate professional on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's why, look, this is why, without a doubt, and, and I would say this not because we're on this podcast, but because I said it long before we were even introduced to each other. But what's part of the magic of the Moxie platform is that it's built by agents for agents. I mean, right. basically, they just watched agents work and said, oh, okay, that's what you do? Here's 20 different places along the way that we can just accelerate a little bit or simplify a little bit or enhance what you're doing. But no, we're not going to ask you to be an unagent. We're not going to ask you to not do the things that make agents worth paying and worth uh, referring. We're simply going to reverse engineer the technology to fit into that. And so that's that's what makes it you know, such a well, well-used product, but also in my mind, such a valuable product. Well, thank you for that compliment. I, I wish MoxieWorks had existed when I was very first an agent and was using binders to remind myself of my eight and mate and my Ninja Nine and my 21-point business plan and my zillion things. It was really complicated and I was using like a spreadsheet to try to yeah. figure it all out. But it's interesting because it, it does lead me to the fact that typically in brokerages, now we're very fortunate as a company, we have very high adoption of our systems and our brokerage clients, but even still, it can always be better. And it's always interesting to figure out how can we help agents you know, understand and want to adopt technologies. I mean, the typical brokerage, this again is not a MoxieWorks statistic. The typical brokerage out there says they get maybe, I mean, they'd be 
thrilled, I suppose, if they could get 20% adoption of any product or service that they're providing. Now, we typically see 65% or better, but we're like lockstep with the broker, day-to-day account managers getting up every day, worrying about it and really partnering with them on it. So why do you think there's such a barrier to adoption in so many brokerages for the agents to actually use what they're purchasing? I think that in what I've seen over 30 years, the simple reason most technology gets low adoption is because it's a bolt-on to everything else, as opposed to it is part of the flow of the organization. You know, so too many organizations just say, well, we offer this, and we offer this, and we offer this, and we offer this, and you just choose it off the shelf when you need it, or if you need it, or if you feel like needing it. And then ironically, 20% of the agents go buy that same product from someone else too. Uh, And so I think the reason is, Uh, that organizations that put their products, all of their products, their technology products, as well as their organizational products, their management teams, their compensation plans, their training teams, if they put them in a flow, a sequence that makes sense, then the adoption rises dramatically. And this isn't just saying, well, you can't get paid if you don't type your transaction in there. It's not what I mean. I mean, like the act of living, working, breathing, and contributing in the organization flows through the technology. And that's why, again, why Moxie works so well, because it was based on watching a day in the life of real estate professionals and said, okay, that's their day in the life. Here are the different pieces where it it fits along the way. What brokers need to do to increase adoption is they need to put their, their technology into the flow. They need to show agents how it helps them start their day, drive their day, uh, grow their day and close their day, you know, and then then they'll get that uptake. And then that's more than just introducing the tool. It is not just training that matters in this case, which it does. But training, you know, most training, believe it or not, is uh, um, upside down. We do a lot of classroom and formal training, but that's where learning happens the least. If you look at adult learning, the vast majority of adult learning happens on the job, in the job. And that's where training is often least available, you know, so where organizations have done the upfront training, it's great until the on the job in the job moment happens. And then we often relegate that to support. But the problem is that a help desk is not a training entity. I ran a help desk for 12 years. So I know we took 35, 40,000 calls a month and we could solve problems, meaning we could get people over the hump. But what getting them into this software didn't tell them how to use it. Getting them into their accounts didn't tell them what to do with it. So what organizations really have to do is they have to implement, they have to educate, and then they have to coach. They have to make sure that the act of actually doing your job is accompanied by managerial or professional development coaching along the way. So it is that people learn to use the product in the act of doing their job. So I'm going to prospect today. Hey, that's what we want training to do, right? Motivate people to prospect. But when they sit down, if they're not logging into the system and using it to prospect, then you'll never get adoption. Oh, I'm going to you know, go out and do a presentation. Well, if the act of doing the presentation is uh, to choose a bolt-on product that didn't flow naturally from the prospecting and CRM tool that you've been using all along, then they go, well, I, I don't want to retype the information. And so adoption falls. This is where a platform matters more than ever. So having a technology platform that covers all the business needs helps. 
but integrating the training and the coaching and the managerial platform into it matters as well. Think about coaching, right? So everyone has always talking about like, well, I want to coach my agents more. I'm going to have meetings with them on a monthly basis. Okay. Well, what are you going to talk about? Well, uh, whatever their problems are. Well, how do you know what their problems are? Well, they're going to bring their problems to me. Well, they don't know what their problems are because if they knew what their problems were, they would solve them. (laughs) But if the database and the platform were integrated, right, then as a manager, I would know what your problem is before you get to coaching. I would see that you received 12 leads, and they were, you know, 10 from your sphere of influence and two from the random universe and that you um, didn't follow up with six of them. So, okay, great. When you come into my coaching meeting, I actually know what the problem is. I'm going to say, hey, how are you doing? Well, my business isn't growing as much as possible. So, you know, I was noticing that because when I looked at the data, I saw that it looked like some leads weren't getting followed up. What's getting in your way? Now we're having an actual performance-based coaching conversation so that I, as a manager, can recommend training and products from my company that will make sense. And I'm using the software platform to know what the problem is, watch you improve yourself, monitor that progress. We both take it off of our list and we move on to the next growth opportunity. So that's why adoption is low. Adoption is low because most products are seen as a bunch of different tools scattered all over the tool bench. But if you were to go into any high-performing mechanic shop, you would see that everything is laid out in the right place at the right time for the right reason because they have to work together. Yeah, it's such an interesting business that we're working in, in the sense that, you know, technically agents are 1099, so they're not like an employee. And so often brokerages feel like they can't insist that an agent use something. And an agent also sometimes, because I'm self-employed, don't want to be told what to do. But in the example that you just gave, where it's coaching and really, you know, being a part of helping that agent, uh, it's a different way of positioning that. But, but if I could interrupt here, because you brought, you bring up a great point. And it's a point that I would love before the end of my career to finally like put a stake through the heart of it. If there is a vampire in this business, I mean, if there is a vampire that is just draining the blood from our productivity, it would be this 1099 myth, right? Because here's the thing. I completely agree with what you just said. It is true that this 1099 challenge means we can't tell them exactly how to get up and walk and talk and whatever. But you know what? It's what they want. When they come to us and say, I think your brokerage with your people and your products and your technology and your marketing and your brand can make me better as an agent, please show me the way. They actually have opened the door for that. They didn't say, hi, I'd like to come sell at your, at your company, but you know what I have here? This is my 1099 and it is a shield behind which I will hide. Like no one's ever actually brought it up. The only people who talk about the 1099 thing are actually brokers who are struggling, I think, to get their agents into, uh, into the whole process. Agents want a all this help. And so what I think of is this, I think that because they're 1099s, it's even more important for us to show them how all these things fall together. Because here's the thing, the 1099s that have to invent all this stuff on their own, the people who are out there all on their own with no support, no manager, no office, they can get like, I don't know, like an electronic tweet training or something, all this stuff. They struggle because very few people are self-assembling. There's like A tiny, tiny, tiny bit out there that could pull all the pieces together and be self-assembling. But 
I walk into any high-performing business anywhere of any kind, and the systems and tools all work together, and it doesn't matter how I get paid. It matters more that the, uh, that the brokerage is able to show the compelling story for how everything fits together in a platform and then ask and ask, would you be willing to do this with us this way? And then now we're voluntarily you know, working through the process together. I love that. And and I agree. I mean, obviously, selfishly, I know what MoxieWorks does really well. And for me, you know, as someone who's managed agents who used to only have a moment to talk to them if my hair was on fire or their hair was on fire, or we were about to be sued. <laughs> sure. You know, having a manager sure. dashboard that gives me those insights to coach people was magical. And as an agent, too, who, you know, I had been a CEO of a company, I became a realtor, but I was, I hope, smart enough to know that I didn't know how to run up real estate business. And so I sought a lot of help. It's why I went to Ninja and having systems that reminded me what to be doing each day to be the best realtor I could be and to be in flow with people. I was looking for that. It's um, thank God for it because otherwise I probably wouldn't have been a successful realtor. So, so it sounds like we're on the same page about some of what brokers need. And I know we've probably used up way more time than a typical podcast. And I think I could go on talking to you forever and we could probably, you know, solve the problems of the world if we were just given another 30 minutes. <laughs> so, thank you so very, very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to chat with you. And is there anything you would want to say in closing as we end our podcast today um, to inspire somebody that might've been listening? You know, I think I'll just take us back to where we started, which is to remind everyone who listens to this podcast that the real estate industry is great at adapting, is very few other industries that do it as quickly as we have and do it as well as we have. And with all of the systems and tools that are available to us, it's a very exciting time to uh, to have the opportunity to uh, to adapt even further. So, you know, don't... Um, don't forget that we're good at this. And so that should be uh, uh, give us a, all a little confidence that we've got this. We, we can do it as many times as we need to, to keep adding value. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I thank all the listeners who were nice enough to tune in. And we look forward to having a new topic to discuss with you next month. Thanks, Matthew. My pleasure. Thanks for getting real with us. See you next time.